Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. After 25 years in banking, I think it's safe to say that I was not growing as much as I would have liked to have been growing. I started to get an itch when I realized I was almost 20 years in, and I started thinking, what else could I do? For some people, reaching the top of their game also means finding a new game to play. There's an expression for growth companies and earlier stage companies that you're building the plane while you're flying it. And it's so true because when you go to a company that is not bureaucratic and established and all these things, like you just do it. You know, you identify a problem and you look in the mirror and you say, who's going to do this? And it's you. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. You know, it's pretty inspiring to hear from people who get to a pinnacle in their careers, but then choose to look for even bigger challenges. And that's exactly what today's guest did. Today, we're sitting down with Sarah Marie Martin, who joined Uber in 2022 as head of M&A, investor relations, and capital markets after a successful 25-year career in investment banking. At Uber, Sarah Marie helps optimize and finance Uber's portfolio of businesses before joining Uber, she was the first CFO of Yumi, a digitally native organic children's food company. Previously, as an investment banker, Sarah Marie was a partner at Goldman Sachs, and prior to that, worked at Credit Suisse for 20 years. In the early days of her career, Sarah Marie worked in the high yield and equity capital markets groups, as well as Latin American corporate finance. She earned a BA from Stanford in quantitative economics, graduating with distinction and she got her MBA from Columbia Business School where she was valedictorian of her class. Sarah Marie serves on the executive committee of the board of directors of The Door, an organization that empowers disconnected youth in New York City. She's a board member of EasyPoint, a pre-IPO shipping software company, and in her spare time, she's a mom of five kids. Unbelievable. Sarah Marie and I had a great conversation about her fascinating career and the exciting direction that Uber is headed. Let's enter the arena with Sarah Marie Martin. I grew up in Houston, Texas. Uh, my parents were educators and I didn't have a lot of exposure to business or finance. When I went to college, I studied economics and it was a very liberal arts focused degree and education. So I sort of thought, I'll just apply for everything. I'll look at accounting, consulting, investment banking, just anything that seemed kind of business-like. I'll see what the opportunities are, whether they end up being on the West Coast or the East Coast, because I went to college in California. The summer before my senior year in college, I had an internship at the U.S. Department of Commerce in D.C., and I had a really exciting opportunity to help the 
Secretary of Commerce prepare for an important press release and press event. And my summer boss said to me randomly, I think you would make a great investment banker. You work well under pressure. You like fast pace. You like multitasking. You have kind of quantitative and qualitative skills. And that that sort of went in the back of my head. So when I was looking at job opportunities, I just serendipitously thought, oh, investment banking, maybe I'd be good at that. Yeah. Like what's investment banking? Exactly. (laughs) Which, by the way, I worked in investment banking for 25 years, and I don't know if I really know the answer to that question. But I ended up in New York City. I ended up at Credit Suisse. And, you know, 25 years later, it was a long and rewarding career. Uh, And then in a nutshell, as you mentioned, I ended up um, transitioning to be CFO of a small company. And more recently, I've joined Uber uh, as the VP of Corporate Development and Capital Markets. And in between there, obviously, you went to Goldman. How did that opportunity kind of come to you after 20 years uh, someplace else? I was contacted by Goldman because several of my private equity clients had recommended me to them, and they were looking to hire a coverage person in the group that was similar to the team that I was helping run at Credit Suisse. And because they were talking about hiring me as a partner, it was a very detailed process. I interviewed 21 times for the job. Uh, When I finally made it to the interview with Lloyd Blankfein, who was the CEO of Goldman at the time, I figured I was probably about to get an offer. But there was, I would say, a fully vetted process by them and by me to find my way to that opportunity. And and I think, you know, the Goldman Sachs partnership is is unusual among Wall Street firms. It's a collaborative group. Um, it's been carefully maintained despite the company going public in 1999. And, you know, it was, a, it was an incredible opportunity to be a part of the Goldman Sachs partnership. Uh, what I did at Goldman was what they call classic banking coverage, meaning covering and maintaining relationships with important clients. And that's as, as opposed to being an M&A banker or specializing in a financing group such as high yield or IPOs. Yeah. So you weren't like... Uh making the sausage necessarily like during an M&A deal, you were kind of a relationship person for the biggest clients. Is that what it was kind of? And also understanding kind of what they need at any given time, right? Yes. I made the sausage earlier in my career. And then towards the end of my banking career, I delivered the sausage, I guess. What was it like being a woman in that environment, you know, kind of a highly dominated male field for 25 years? How was it kind of in the beginning and how was it towards the end of your banking career? Did it change at all? What was it like? It changed a lot. In the beginning, and actually through the years, uh, up until much more recently, I was almost always the only woman in the room, which sadly you get used to. You know, it's shocking, and then you get used to it. And then if you're in a room of all women, you notice. I would say I didn't really notice a change for there being more women in the room or around the table until probably the last five to 10 years. You know, one of my biggest takeaways is I would say earlier in my career, there was like much more blatant sexism or misogyny. And now what I would tell you is the environments are certainly more friendly. And if there is an issue, it tends to be much more like unconscious bias where people don't even realize that perhaps they, you know, don't afford you the same amount of trust or the same amount of respect that they would afford to someone else. So clearly given 25 years in investment banking, I am extremely comfortable, you know, being in an environment that is male dominated. I have seen, you know, a lot of moves in the right direction. And I think the real opportunity is to, is on the awareness side and the allyship side to really help everyone understand that all of us should have a seat at the table and that the woman in the room or the person of color in the room might not be having the exact same experience as you are and to be aware of behaviors and unconscious biases. Yeah. 
No, it's super important. And I, I sense the same thing as you. You know, we deal with lots of uh, management teams and CEOs and board members. And I think there's been a distinct shift in, in the last uh, five to 10 years, which is great to see. But, you know, obviously a lot of progress needs to be made. So it's good that, that things are moving in the right direction, hopefully. After 25 years of kind of doing banking and different kind of roles within banking, how did you decide to pivot? How did those opportunities come to you? And why did you say like, wow, I'm a partner at Goldman, now I'm gonna leave. Like, that's like everyone's dream job on Wall Street. So look, changing is harder than not changing. And I have a quote on my desk and I'm gonna look at it right now. It says, always go with the choice that scares you the most because that's the one that's going to help you grow. And after 25 years in banking, I think it's safe to say that I was not growing as much as I would have liked to have been growing. And I was certainly not growing as much as I would be growing if I were doing something different. I started to get an itch when I realized I was almost 20 years in. And I started thinking, what else could I do? And then literally as I was getting this thought, COVID happened. And I went into survival mode because we have five kids, two of them were in kindergarten. And I also was, you know, working full time remotely. So I just decided, all right, I'm going to put this part of my brain that is itching for something else on the back burner. And I, I started thinking about and networking with career changers to decide what was something that, what was something that I could network my way into that I could figure out, but was also an area that had available jobs. And I decided that I was going to try to find a job as a CFO. And I was lucky enough to come across through networking Yumi, the growth startup. And I was really excited about Yumi and the fact that it was serving uh, organic food to children. It was direct to consumer. So it was really facilitating delicious, healthy food to working parents or busy parents or people for whatever reason, you know, didn't want to get out during the pandemic. I was also very drawn to the fact that it was a women founded business. And as we've discussed, I was working in a highly male dominated industry for a long time. And I thought how great to support these amazing women entrepreneurs. And only 2% of venture capital dollars, shockingly to this day, go to women, which is mind blowing and uh, must change. So to help be a part of that and help them fundraise, they were excited about me because they felt like given the trajectory of their business and the state of their business, I could really help them with fundraising and exit planning and, and financing and things that a, that a banker generally does. And then of course I had the opportunity to learn a bit about what a CFO does as well. Yeah. How did you personally deal with going from kind of the structure to, okay, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, like there's all kinds of fires to put out and, you know, it's exciting, but like, how has that changed for you? Well, there's an expression for growth companies and earlier stage companies that you're building the plane while you're flying it. And it's so true because when you go to a company that is not bureaucratic and established and has a big team and, you know, a hierarchy and all these things, like you just do it, you know, you identify a problem and you look in the mirror and you say, who's going to do this? And it's you. So it's, uh, it's very different. I would say highly empowering, definitely scary. And, you know, in terms of, in terms of, I would say, you know, growing as a person, for me personally, it was a great opportunity because I was so used to doing something a certain way or so used to approaching something in one way and having the opportunity to do it in an entirely different way was definitely mind blowing and, uh, you know, a great, a great growth experience for me. I also think it really prepared me to go to Uber because when you think of Uber, Uber is this large public company, 
everyone knows the brand. A lot of people use the brand, whether it's, you know, Uber Mobility or Uber Eats or both. And everyone forgets that Uber is a 12-year-old company. So It's insane. I know. It's insane. And Uber is sort of established and has some of the infrastructure that you would find in an investment bank or a, a large firm, but it's also very much the sort of building the airplane while it's flying mode as well. I'm grateful having had the experience at Yumi and the growth company, because I think it really helps me understand what's going on at Uber and the fact that, you know, we are a, a big public company, but we are kind of early days in terms of our institutionalization and our processes and procedures as a company. Sarah Marie was less than a year into her role at Yumi when Uber got in touch. As a banker with loads of experience on a range of transactions and a successful relationship builder, Sarah Marie was the exact person they were looking for. They ended up talking to several of my former clients who who recommended me. So I got a call out of the blue, you know, hey, do you want to meet the CFO of Uber? And it was it was surprising to me because I was only nine or 10 months in my CFO job. And obviously I had a lot on my agenda and a lot of things I still needed to accomplish in that role. So I said, of course, you know, I'm not brain dead. Of course, I will meet the CFO of Uber. But if something does end up working out here, you know, I have some loose ends I need to tie up at Yumi. And, you know, I think because they had done a lot of diligence and sort of identifying the candidate that they wanted, it was a very quick process process for me to, you know, meet with the senior management leadership team and the, my team that I now work with and run and decide that it was going to be a great opportunity for me. And really like what I do at Uber, I use a lot of my technical banking skills in and network in that role. I just happen to be the client or on the client side and on the corporate side at this point in time, but, you know, running investor relations, running M&A and capital markets, it's all highly correlated with what I did in my previous career. Yeah, it's like three full-time jobs, that title it seems like to me, but how do you allocate your time? What are your main priorities? How do you kind of balance all of that? I would say there's four things that I focus on. One is managing my team, and I have an awesome team, but really, you know, they're the ones who are making the magic happen. So managing and organizing the team. Secondly, it's just triage. Triage whatever can't wait. Whatever the fire that needs to be put out has to has to happen immediately. Third, it's the quarterly process for investor relations. And the process for IR is uh, it's on a cadence. It is a lot of work, but you going into it, you know what the schedule is going to be and you, you know, you manage it. It gets very, very busy at certain parts of the quarter. And then number four is just idiosyncratic, timely projects that have a deadline. So like, you know what I would say is that's sort of the structure, but ultimately it ends up being a little bit more spontaneous. And I'm a, a I guess, professional multitasker and I'm quite comfortable being high level. I'm also comfortable getting down in the weeds. And one of our core values at Uber is see the forest and the trees. And it's a value that we take very seriously. Yeah, that's cool. You know, and like the IR piece, it has to be perfect every time. And in particular, the CEO takes it very seriously because a misstep there can really change your cost of capital, you know, put you in the penalty box with investors. So it's it's a real high stakes um function and, you know, having a great team below you, I'm sure helps, helps you guys pull it off. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I have to say, I joined Uber at a very interesting time because I joined at the end of March of 2022 and 
the NASDAQ was starting to melt down. You know, we're, we're a tech company. And Uber was just starting to become free cash flow positive. Uber had had become slightly EBITDA positive in 2021, and in 2022 was just becoming free cash flow positive. So there was this volatile convergence of kind of a NASDAQ and an equity market that was unfavorable with the fact that our business was becoming more of the profile that investors wanted to see, which was good news. But in terms of crafting the IR story, it's complicated. And it really is an art trying to figure out, like, how do I communicate? How do I communicate our story, but in a way that is going to be attractive to investors in the current market environment? And so it's been amazing having a front row seat during this point of t- point in time. And, you know, we're lucky to have had several really strong quarters and both operationally and in our communication of that to investors. So it's been a wild ride. Speaking about Uber more generally, maybe you can talk about what the focus is strategy-wise and kind of in your opinion, like kind of the state of the business. Again, it's worth noting, you know, the company's only 12 years old, which is just crazy when you say it out loud because it scaled so quickly and it's a verb, right? People... Absolutely. So it's going to be a great stock someday if people use it as a verb and it is a great stock, but like it's just part of the fabric of everyday life for people. So what's the strategy? What's the state of the company in your mind? Our high level goal is to provide connection to every source of transportation in the world. And that's a very broad thing to say. Right now, we have two core businesses. We have Uber Mobility and we have Uber Eats Delivery. We also have a a freight business as well. And in growing these businesses, Uber has become the largest platform for work in the world. So the scale of the business is mind-boggling. In the last quarter, uh, so Q4 2022, we had 5.4 million earners in 70 different countries. And in terms of customers, we call them MAPSIs, monthly active platform consumers, we had 131 million. So you think 5.4 million earners, 131 million customers, and over 2 billion transactions, which is approximately a million transactions every hour. So the scale of the, the scale of the business is mind-boggling and we're just at the tip of the iceberg in terms of our strategy. So you know our existing core businesses which are UberX and restaurant food delivery are a big growth driver for us. We're also focused on new verticals, which could be anything from a reserve ride to a shared ride to in certain countries, there's two wheelers, three wheelers. In our delivery business, our new verticals would be things like grocery or alcohol delivery, other things being delivered that are not restaurant deliveries. And really what we are focused on doing is is balancing growth with profitability and making sure we're optimizing that portfolio of business. And as I mentioned, in 2021, we became EBITDA positive. In 2022, became free cash flow positive. In 2023, we have publicly committed to becoming gap operating positive. So our overall goal is to balance growth and profitability and to have a sound business strategy in order to do that and to support that. We talked a little bit about uh, your career in banking and Diversity, uh, we touched on that a little bit. How is uh, Uber in terms of diversity and inclusion and belonging and that sort of thing versus banking? I kind of already know the answer, but go for it. (laughs) So Uber, not surprisingly, is a young, young company in age, but also young in terms of our employee base. And we're a tech company. 
you know, we're a global company and our business is hyper-local, but we we have a San Francisco heritage and you feel that in the organization. We're a you know, San Francisco young tech company. It's, it's a flat organization. And I would say that there's a, there's a lot of influence in our culture that I would call like Gen Z. And Gen Z, you know, unlike my, I'm a Gen X, right? Like Gen Z, are there, you know, they don't follow rules in the same way as Gen X, which in most cases is a good thing. They expect diversity. They expect agency. They expect to have a voice and they challenge the status quo. So, you know, when it comes to diversity, I think, you know, it's certainly a step function ahead of of banking, just in terms of no one's pushing back on should we be diverse? What we're all struggling with is like, how? Like, how, how, do, how do we actually recruit, retain, maintain, make these places a great place to work? And as you can imagine, it's hard to retain female partners at Goldman Sachs, it's also hard to find female engineers. And we're a, te- yeah, we're a tech company. We have thousands and thousands and thousands of engineers. So, you know, s- similar set of challenges, more embracing, I would say, of those challenges. We also are a hybrid work environment, which I think is really appealing to many people. I would tell you it's very appealing to me as a working mother because if I think of my life post-COVID versus pre-COVID, I just have so much more time in-person time with my family, which I value so much. And hybrid work and remote work has been a real game changer for me as a human being and a mother. Another one of our core values at Uber is great minds don't think alike. And so I think oh, I that's like that just too. sort You're of- full of that, sayings today. I love that's it. sort of evidence <laughs> of like how, you know, like we're like, this is great. Like we want all different perspectives coming to the table. And until I sort of heard a tech CEO say something similar to that years ago, and I thought like, oh, wow, you're recruiting somebody and you're not actually recruiting somebody who necessarily has the skill set for that job. You're just trying to recruit somebody who's like really smart and competent and capable and a good problem solver. And so I, I really do love that, you know, like, okay, like let's all think differently and bring the best uh, idea or the best compilation of ideas to the table. Yeah. I know you went to the World Economic Forum in Davos in January, and I am dying to know what that was like. Like, what? how was it for you? What was your experience there? What did you take away from it? So personally, it was a total frenzy. It's a, you're in this little tiny town, it's freezing. You have, you know, tons and tons of meetings back to back, but everything's in a different location. So just kind of like balancing the schedule is a monumental task. This is my first time attending. And I sort of had heard like, it's a place where everyone's talking about all the problems. And I, I what I would say is that the mood was pretty positive. There wasn't a sort of, there wasn't a consensus that I could tell in terms of like the economy and what was happening with the macro economy. People were generally feeling like less bad about the economy and perhaps that we would have a, a soft landing in the US and Europe. Yep. Maybe we'd avoid a recession. But I really do think part of what was, was bringing the optimism was the reduction in energy inflation in Europe. You know, the warm winter, the sort of reduction and reliance on Russian natural gas. It alleviated a lot of stress in Europe about energy inflation. So the mood was, I would say, less negative slash more positive than expected. From an Uber perspective, it was such great timing to be there because our CEO, Dara, had literally just come back from Ukraine. And everyone wanted to talk about, you know, what's going on in Ukraine and, you know, what it's like to do business there. We're in 18 cities in Ukraine. And we've done a, a tremendous amount of philanthropic work providing you know, free rides for doctors and essential workers and refugees and things of all this nature. So it was really exciting to be able to get that message out. And we also really leaned in on our green messaging. So we had a fleet of Uber Teslas, 
branded, very beautiful, you know, working during the week of Davos, operating like Swiss clockwork, as you would expect in Switzerland, is really <laughs> right. serving the town. So I, so we had the opportunity to really lean in on some of our cultural values, our philanthropy, and also our green messaging. And, you know, our goal as a firm is to have an entirely electric fleet on the mobility side of our business by 2030. We also have some exciting initiatives going on in the food packaging side as well. So I think Uber nailed it in Davos, but just speaking personally, it was uh, it was really exciting to be there. And I, I feel very privileged to have been a part of it. That's cool. I love those goals, you know, when you, you plant the flag out in 2030 and then you kind of realize, well, geez, that's not that far away. Not that far away. <laughs> you know, it used to seem like it. Um, all right, let's get down to the meat of, of my interview here. This is very important. Is it true that Uber corporate employees are supposed to drive or deliver for Uber? And have you done that? True. It is highly, highly encouraged. Our CEO drives, a lot of our senior leaders drive, many corporate employees. That's so cool. Uh, so true. We need to understand the earner experience and one of our huge goals and priorities because we, as Uber is a company where we are supply, not demand constrained. So really what constrains our growth is earners because of the demand. If we have the supply available, the demand comes and the demand is there and we can match more demand with supply if we have more supply and there and we can get more trips for the drivers and lower prices for the consumers. So, you know, we need a functioning and a healthy marketplace. We as a company have been very focused on improving the earner experience. So it's really important for us as corporate employees to know what that's like. Um, I am onboarded for Uber Eats, not for Uber. I am scared to drive other people around. Also, my car is, as you can imagine, you know, as mom here, my car is an absolute mess. So I'm, I'm onboarded <laughs> as an Uber Eats delivery person. And um, Tom, I do want to tell you that the onboarding process is incredible seamless in case you want to make any deliveries. I'll do it. I'd love to try. I think it'd be, I think it'd be super fun. Question number two, maybe even more important. How do I get my Uber rating up or my score up? I'm a 4.84, <laughs> which I feel is pretty good. I'm very competitive. 4.84 in Manhattan is good. Yeah. I'd like to, I'd like to uh, get that up. So I am working on my own score. I have psychoanalyzed and overanalyzed. My score is worse than yours, and I can't figure out why it's so bad. I say it's because I was literally one of Uber's first customers in New York City when they were really hard graders. And also, I have my kids a lot, so that probably doesn't always help. Um, so the number one rule, which no one can believe, is that you can't slam the door. People get dinged for slamming the door. You just have to be very careful when you open and close the door. Yeah, I could see that though. It's like a common courtesy. It's a common courtesy and the, and the drivers really notice. Uh, and obviously they care about their vehicles. And then some of it's pretty straightforward, like, you know, being kind and courteous. And then the other big one is not making the driver wait. Yep. Okay. Well, that makes sense. And what are your top product recommendations for Uber customers? So you might have seen our Super Bowl ad or various uh, on other mediums since the Super Bowl, but we are all in on Uber One, which is our subscription plan. It gives you discounts on Uber and Uber Eats, which is great. But the reason I love it is that you get access to the highest ranked drivers. The other product which we're rolling out, which I think is fantastic, is Reserve. So if you're reserving for the airport ahead of time or an important meeting, it's a relatively new product and it's, it's great. That's awesome. Couple more questions. Obviously, you have five kids, and like, how do you balance like such a huge job and being a mom and like everything you have to do in your life? How do you juggle all that? Or do you? So <laughs> I am totally comfortable with chaos, as may be obvious from this conversation. And even though I am, you know, type A, I'm very good at not 
sweating the small stuff. So I think most people, when they look at me as a parent, are like, wow, she's really like relaxed. I wouldn't have expected her to be so relaxed as a parent. And I also think like whether you have two kids or three kids like you or five, like you only have like you only, you have a finite amount of stress that you can kind of apply to your children. So it's it's not like it's incremental per child. You know, when they say it takes a village, like they're not kidding, it does. And, you know, one of the best choices I ever made in my life was marrying Nick. I have the most incredible partner in life to juggle and, and balance and, and prioritize things with me. That's been a huge key to my success. You know, I think, in, I just think in general, across life, it's you have to sort of prioritize what you want to do, what you want to outsource. You have to have great people on your team, regardless of whether it's at work or home. Having a great admin has been a huge key to my success. You know, I'm, I love having dinner at home. And sometimes I can be a little hard on myself if I'm not like meeting my, you know, good mom objective. So I've tried pretty hard to take some deep breaths and focus on the things that I do do well as a parent. And I am a very loving parent and my kids are quite clear on the fact that I adore them. And the other thing that I try to remember is that your life goes in cycles and I'm in a really busy part of life right now. And it's not always going to be that busy. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy this really crazy busy part while it is. And then at some point when my youngest kids are all teenagers and the other ones are all grown up and they don't want to spend any time with me, I'll, I'll, I'll have more time to allocate to my personal passions or whatever, however it is that I want to allocate it. There's no question Uber is in the right hands with Sarah Marie. Her unique experience, diverse career, and her incredible team are a powerful mix to help lead the company as it continues to expand. At Welcome to the Arena, we're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon to be public companies. Thanks for listening. I wanna thank Sarah Marie for coming on the show. She's traded one highly successful career for another, and she has a ton of experience with the energy to match. This interview was so fun. We'll definitely be checking in with her down the road. This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only, and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.